Welcome to the Creation Innovation Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth King. Together, we'll have conversations with incredible human beings who have taken their creative outlet and turned it into something innovative. From people leaving the corporate world to be eight-figure entrepreneurs, to people who have created books, created a family, or just creating to have fun in the world. We are all in a journey to create something amazing in our lives, and I hope that you find some inspiration of your own here. This is the Creation Innovation Podcast. everyone. Welcome back to Creation Innovation. I am really honored and excited to have a conversation today with Dr. Victory. Welcome, Dr. Victory. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. And first of all, I mean, who doesn't want to go to a doctor that's name is Victory? I mean, <laughs> you get business just from that perspective? <laughs> uh, you know, it's a, it's definitely a good last name for a fertility specialist. We're we're creating a new logo that says your journey begins and ends with victory. <laughs> so Amen uh, to that. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's definitely a good last name. My my grandfather actually chose our last name. So uh I don't know if you had the foresight to know what I was gonna do, but it worked out well for me for sure. Well, I would think whatever field you go in or whatever industry you're in, I I don't think you can go wrong with that last name. So well done to your grandfather. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. It, it's so far so good. Knock wood. Good. So tell us a little bit about the people that you serve. I know you do most of all your business in Canada. Is that correct? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, our clinic location is in Canada, but, um, you know, for whatever reason, we've become very international. So we have clients in South Africa. We have many in Australia, a lot in Europe. Um, I've had them as far as the, you know, the Orient and Japan and so on. So, uh, you know, we're pretty international, probably a little bit less so from South America. I think that's just kind of a different dynamic, but pretty much the rest of the world, the U.S., Canada, all throughout uh, Europe, the Middle East. Um, we're seeing many, many patients from all throughout the world, but our, our main lab and our clinic are located here in Canada. So we're facilitating the care we provide globally because some of it you can just kind of guide people through, uh, but we do anything technical that patients want us directly to do for them here in Canada. Okay. So let's touch on that a little bit, if you don't mind. So if somebody sure. is not in Canada and they see you, hear you, want to work with you, what would be the first step for them to work with a doctor like yourself that's not in their home country? Yeah. So we've kind of really made this a very easy, facile process by uh, really kind of telling patients what our process is and what they need to do and then getting as much of it done in their home communities as possible. So as an example, first step would be contact our office. We, we usually do it electronically. It's info at drvictorydrvictory.com. Request a consultation. So once they've done the consultation with me, which we do via Zoom, um, and I'll spend anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour with a couple to learn about them, learn about their needs, learn about who they are, what their goals are, what's their history and so on. And then formulate a, an appropriate, very uh, personalized, individualized care plan for them. We're sort of vehemently opposed to doing cookie cutter protocols. So we avoid that um, vigorously here. And then once we've got a plan in place, the next question for the couple or the individual is, where would you like to affect this? Do you want to do this wherever you live? Is it California? Is it Florida? Is it, you know, South America, North America, whatever the case may be? Or are you interested in coming to us? 
And then within that framework, we will tell them how to achieve it in their home country or their hometown, if possible. And you know, where it's not possible, we strategize to try and get them to do as much as necessary in their home communities through their own providers, their own fertility centers and so on, and then come to us for kind of the, the meat and bones of it, which is really the IVF procedures. Sometimes it works great where you get cooperative physicians and cooperative centers that can really provide you with the same level of attention to detail and care that we believe we provide. And unfortunately, in some instances, you just can't, whether it's a regulatory reason and they're not allowed to provide those things, or it's a problem with issues around um, the physician willing to be cooperative or listen. So for example, the UK, which has a wonderful healthcare system, the physicians just absolutely will not participate in anything outside of a very cookie cutter approach to fertility care. And so for those patients, we frequently actually have to tell them, look, this is just not going to work in the UK. You have to come to us to get that next level of care that you, you just can't arrange in the UK. Um, but many times we have patients in other parts of the world where, for example, in Australia, many of the physicians are willing to participate, even if they're not familiar with what we're asking for, they're willing to take instructions from us and then achieve what we need for their patients. Which seems like a no-brainer in a sense, because you're actually getting the benefit of learning something else from another clinic as well that you can use in your own, I would think. you know, It's a win-win for everybody, but um, again, I guess some places aren't quite open to that and that's okay. Yeah, you know, I think it depends on the personality of the people involved, right? So me as a physician, I'm always about growth. I'm always about learning. If I can learn from another physician how to do something better, um, then I'll do that happily because it just means my patients are going to be at an advantage and uh, I can do better for them than I was previously. But a lot of physicians tend to feel either like they already know better um, which I'm quite sure you're very familiar with doing what you do, uh, or that they are just very kind of entrenched in their idea of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate and what works and what doesn't work. And thinking outside the box is a, a very foreign concept to a lot of physicians. So when you run into that, it, it does make it really challenging. And I think that's where fertility coaches such as yourself do such an amazing job because you can really help um, navigate patients through those hurdles sometimes, and, and sometimes even assist the clinic to understand these are the needs of these patients. You have to listen in a different way than you've been listening before. Right. And I think it's unfortunately much easier to help navigate that patient to another clinic rather than opening the, the doctors who are not quite open yet to that way. But I think that it's so important that you point that out because there is kind of a divide in some instances where the clinics, they have their protocol that's worked for them in years past. That is not necessarily what may work for you. And knowing that it's okay to get a second opinion and to go out to somebody else to see what, what else is out there. Because everyone, especially if you're open to other places in the world and what other people are doing, they're practicing medicine in a different way. And those practices can open your eyes to a success that might mean your victory at the end, right, of having that baby that you've always wanted. So I think it's a really good point to make is don't feel like you're pigeonholed into one clinic if you're not feeling like you're being heard or seen. And as well as I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but patients now are so educated on this whole process 
more so than ever because of the information that's out there and doctors like yourself that are putting educational out there information there for them to learn. Do you notice that you have to be a little bit more open to the patient suggestions of what they may be coming to the table offering for themselves? Absolutely. I mean, I think with the onslaught of information um, and and in some cases, disinformation on social media and on the internet, um, patients are coming armed with a wealth of information. And, you know, a a big part of our job is making sure that we educate them. Um, I like to do it online on an ongoing basis, as you know. Um, And when I'm faced with a situation where a patient comes with either papers or something she's read or something she saw another physician speak about, uh, I'm prepared to to review that with them. And, you know, I'd say, thank God, most of the time I'm pretty well versed in stuff that's new and upcoming and what's the latest and greatest. But, hey, every once in a while, someone will throw a curveball at me and I'll I'll take a look at it and I'll say, you know, I need to look into that and get back to you. And, and we do. We genuinely do. So if I... Uh, I learn about something or hear about something that I'm not familiar with. I'm one of those real eager people that will dive into that and do the research and do the studying and, and analyze it and then say, yeah, either this makes sense or, or no, this really doesn't make sense. It's kind of hocus pocus. Right. Um, but there's no question. You're right. There's, there's also uh, a huge amount of fear that comes even with the most educated patients because of that power differential between patients and doctors, which quite frankly, I wish never existed. Like we, we look at it in our clinic, like we're all part of a team and yes, sure. Maybe I'm the quarterback on the team, but I'm still just a member of the team. And without all the other players, most importantly, the patients, our team's not going anywhere. You're not going to run the ball as just the quarterback. You're going to get sacked. So, uh, you know, we very much look at it as, us working with our clients and with our patients to facilitate really their journey their way. And and I really think that's missing from a lot of fertility care because of the fact that there is this fear, like, I I can't say this to the doctor. What if they get angry at me? You know, they've got my embryos. What if something goes wrong? What if they don't want to take care of me anymore? And, And that's such a shame because patients need to understand that they're actually in control. The doctors are there to serve the patients, not the other way around. And so that's really missing from the conversation amongst physicians. Like we as a profession need to do a better job of listening for sure, because we don't do it well enough. And that's one thing we really focus on here is listen to people, hear what they're saying, understand things through the lens of, of their eyes. And then, and then try and apply what you're doing to their situation and their circumstance. Don't just, kind of foist what you believe and what you want on people, because that's not fair. And and we'll often end up creating even more angst and even more fear and, and distrust. And then they're, you're kind of sabotaging not just their journey with you, but their journey, period. And I, I such a refreshing statement for you to make, because obviously you that's not part of your medical MD degree, right? They don't teach you to sit down and really listen to that to do, degree. And the fact that in this particular line of work, it is so emotional. Not that other areas of medical practice are not, but this is, you know, life-changing for them every time they come to your office versus some might be, you know, if you're a general practitioner, it's very different. If you're a pediatrician, hopefully it's very different. But this, I think, 
people just are not taught that. The doctors are not taught that. So for you to have that awareness to react and engage with your patients, I think is amazing. And again, one of the things of why I loved you so much when we spoke before, because of this openness to see things in a different way than this traditional white coat, as you know, this white coat syndrome that a lot of people have, where, you know, it's this, they are here and we are there, which to some degree I, I subscribe to because if all of us would be so intelligent to go to get a medical degree, we would all be in different situations. But And that's why it is so important for us to really, at the end of the day, trust our doctors because they do have a formal education in this. They do eat, breathe, and sleep this every day, in and out. They have been here before. So as much as we want to also come prepared and educated, we also need to trust to a degree uh, that the doctors know what they're doing and they do have our best interest at heart because I feel that that I see that quite a bit as well, that oh, they're, they're telling me to do this, but I don't really know if it's the right thing. And at some point, if you really don't feel it's the right thing, then you need to go to a different doctor if you feel like from an intuition perspective. But otherwise, I think for everyone to be on this fertility team, as I like to refer to all the time, it really is so key to everybody's success because our success is their success and vice versa, as you say, right? Yeah, so. yeah. I, I definitely agree. I mean, I, I think that the trust needs to be there. Um, and, and I think that patients serve themselves well to come educated as much as possible. Um, and I, I always tell people like patients shouldn't have to advocate for themselves because that's really the job of your physician to advocate for you. Um, but sadly, in many instances, they do actually need to advocate for themselves because not every physician is the same, not every clinic is the same. And so there, you know, there's never going to be a physician who doesn't have your best interests at heart, but you've got the, you know, individuals who spend all their time reading and studying and trying to improve and do better and, you know, who are open-minded about most things and want to listen and hear the patients. And then you have some that are a little more um, rigid and fixed and, and perhaps more set in their ways. And not that they're, you know, saying that the patient is wrong or want to engender distrust, but in reality, it does kind of lead to that because patients want to be heard. It's, you know, healing people, um, whether it's fertility or any other disease, is not about just here's your medicine or here's my scalpel. It's all about listening. Like people need to be heard. They have a voice. They have a, a view. They have a vision. And until you listen to them and you hear their story their way and try and really understand it, it's it's very difficult to bring to bear the necessary tools that are going to be there for you to, to get the right outcome. So we, we need to earn people's trust. I think that's probably the most important thing I can say. And I, I think you summarized it best by saying, you know, if your intuition is telling you run, run. <laughs> right? Like don't hang around because you're afraid or, or you feel like there aren't other options. Geography in the world of medicine and in particular in the fertility world is, is meaningless now. I mean, we literally have people coming in every week from Australia. So, um, to, to a little town in Canada. So, you know, it's not like the geography matters. The geography is irrelevant. You're, you're in California. We have tons of people coming to us from California um, and watching our show every week from California because we provide just kind of a different model of care. And that's what people are looking for. So, yeah, I, th I think trust is critical. And, and we do go through oodles of training and pass these crazy exams and so on so that we can earn your trust. But 
you got to take the next step as the doctor and actually be all in and, and listen and think and process and not always put your own views forward first. Right. Two things to that. One, I hear often as well, well, I have my embryos with this clinic. How can I transfer to another clinic? So what is your answer answer to that? Yeah, embryo transfer is actually ridiculously simple. You you call a company that transfers embryos, they throw them into this very secure tank. That very secure tank goes into a plastic shell, which could undoubtedly survive a nuclear explosion. And then they put it in a FedEx truck and white glove deliver it to our center. So again, that's something we see every day. There's a temperature alarm on it. There's all sorts of monitoring and regulations around it. And that's a very, very easy process. It's not even that expensive anymore. So that's something we can arrange. Yeah, I have a one of my clients who actually took it herself from one clinic to the next and had it seatbelted in the back of her own car because she didn't want to pay for the the courier to take it. But I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think that's it's this idea that people really do feel that they're locked in because of that. So thank you for you know, clearing that up. The other thing I want to ask is how did you get into this field? I, it's always curious from a woman's perspective, why would a male get into women's wellness and especially this particular field? It's a fair question. Um, so I knew from a very, very young age that I wanted to be um, either part of or around um, children. Uh, I just love babies in particular. And as I went through, I, I knew I wanted to become a physician that could help babies. And when I got to the point where I was in medical school, I very rapidly realized pediatrics was an amazing field, but it was pretty um, sort of habituated, like you were doing the same thing over and over again. There wasn't a lot of challenge, either intellectual or, or physical or mental or any of those things. So um, I did research with an OBGYN, and he really encouraged me to look at OBGYN. And uh, I realized that I loved it. It was challenging. It was interesting. I, I always argue to my students that it is the most diverse of all the medical fields. I get to be a primary care specialist, an obstetrician, a surgeon, a radiologist, an internal medicine specialist. You don't really get that anywhere. And so it was diverse. It was dynamic. It was challenging. And then I subsequently kind of learned that I loved laparoscopic and minimally invasive surgery. And so that kind of led to seeing the fertility patients and caught me onto the fertility bug. And once I got that, uh, I never let go. It was just too, too enticing. It's such a phenomenal, phenomenal experience to be part of something so incredible where you get to say to someone, here's your baby. I mean, it's, you know, and I still deliver them. So I go right from, hey, you're infertile all the way to, hey, here's your baby. And, you know, I've done it so many times now, I've lost track, but it's just like, it's literally the most rewarding feeling in the world. And I have to say, women are awesome to work with. So I love working with, you know, men and women, but Obviously, being a gynecologist, predominantly, I'm working with women, and women are wonderful people to work with. They're engaged, they're intelligent, they're all in, they want the best for themselves, for their families. Um, you know, I tell men, hey, you need to quit smoking, drinking, drug use, and it, it's a hours-long argument. You tell a woman, and, you know, they're almost always they're done. highly motivated in this yeah. case. They're, they have this vested, passionate interest. So, you know, that makes my job really easy in, in that regard. And so I, I love working with women because they're great people. 
Well, that's a good, I'm glad I asked the background. That, that's good. That makes sense. Yeah. And good for you to be able to see that journey all the way through. That's pretty spectacular as well. Because I feel like at, for most of us, if we see the fertility doctor and then we see the OB and then we see an MFM, then you know we're so disjointed in the care throughout that 10 months really and or more depending on how long your fertility journey is and you tend to feel like but all these people were such a big part of my story right and you want to go back and just show them your baby and let them know your success and whatever so how special it is for you to be able to see some of your patients all the way through that's really really cool yeah it definitely gives you a, a unique perspective as a fertility specialist and and to be honest I, I am strongly in favor of fertility specialists maintaining some of their surgical and obstetrical practice because there is a lot you glean from the journey after they're done at the fertility point. All the fears that come up, sometimes guilt where women finally feel like they made it and what about their friends that didn't? Or, or unrecognized trauma, like, look at what I went through to get here. And now I'm here. So everybody, including us thinks, wow, they should be happy. But they're not actually happy because they're still traumatized from what they went through to get there. Absolutely. You miss that when you're not practicing the obstetrics, you know, when you're the fertility specialist that graduates them at 10 or 12 weeks, you're, you're waving goodbye, and they're out the door. And you don't know what happens to them after that. But when you practice the obstetrics, you see it firsthand. And when you do the surgery as well, it's the same thing. Like when I'm operating on an ovary, um, I'm doing everything humanly possible to preserve that ovary. Whereas somebody else who doesn't have that same perspective may take shortcuts because they're on a clock or they're on a schedule or they're not even recognizing what the surgery is really being done for. So I wish more fertility specialists were a bit more broad in their, their practices because I think it makes you a better fertility specialist. Right. So when I had my fibroid surgery, my fertility doctor actually suggested that I went to a gynecological oncologist for that particular reason to make sure wow. that all the, you know, he had the best equipment, he wasn't going to be damaging anything, et cetera. Now, I know that a lot of oncologists don't have time to be taking on all these, you know, gynecological situations. Sure. Um, but what would you suggest for somebody who's doing, you know, any sort of, surgery, laparoscopic type surgery that's coming up prior to wanting to get pregnant. Because I do feel, and you know, this I'm generalizing, but a lot of the OBs don't really understand or, you know, it's not their day in, day out necessarily of doing those sorts of things. And versus somebody who may be that's what they specialize in or they see more often and they know the the kind of the effects if something were to not go as well as intended. What would you say to a patient in that? In that situation? Yeah. So, so sadly, you're not generalizing. It's actually true what you just said. So the, the reality is that the generalist OBGYN in particular in the U.S., it is admittedly a little bit different in Canada. Um, and having, I mean, I'm board certified in Canada and in the U.S. Um, because I did my fertility training there. Um, you know, the generalist OBGYN is not usually equipped to do difficult, comprehensive endometriosis surgeries, fibroid surgeries, that kind of thing. So um, there is a group in the U.S. called the American Association of Gynecologic Laparoscopists, AAGL, and they run fellowships for minimally invasive surgery. 
And if you're looking for a physician in the U.S. who is going to be sort of top-notch with the requisite skills and the attention to detail and the ability to, you know, perform complex surgeries without compromising your fertility, you probably want to be looking for a AAGL fellowship trained specialist. Um, there are, I think, 12 or 13 programs across the U.S. There may be more now. That was several years ago when I last looked. Um, these are training programs that are usually two or three years long, um, and they are experts there who are training uh, residents graduating who want to go into more complex surgical specialties. So, um, you know, if I were there, that's who I would be looking for. Uh, a gynecologic oncologist, of course, will also have the tools and the skills necessary, but you're right. I mean, gynecologic oncologists are busy doing gynecologic oncology and, and in the absence of a tumor or a cancer, um, you know, they're probably not necessarily the right ones for that job. And they're used to kind of much more um, uh, block kind of surgeries where the finesse is less of an issue. I mean, I did a lot of gynecologic oncology and residency and, you know, those are not necessarily finesse surgeries when you're taking out large amounts of tumor and there's huge mm -hmm. amounts of blood loss. Whereas mm -hmm. when you see an AAGL specialist uh, or a minimally invasive specialist, you know, I, I always jokingly say I count my blood loss in red blood cells. Like I'm not counting milliliters. I don't want to lose a drop. So we're really on another level of cautiousness because of the nature of what we're doing. Amazing. And to the same point, what if between a fertility doctor and an RE, a reproductive endocrinologist versus an OBGYN? When, like, when do you think is the appropriate time for somebody to say, okay, you know, my OB wants me to stay with them because they think that I'm, you know, they know what they're doing, but there's something in me that says maybe I should see an RE. What's your thought on that? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for asking that. I think realistically these days, the field of infertility has become sophisticated enough that there are so many nuances to the things that we do that it's really moved past the stage of generalist OBGYN help. I mean, we still see many, many, many uh, generalist OBGYNs who are prescribing things like Clomid or Letrozole to patients with unexplained infertility. That's being studied extensively. It's useless for people with unexplained infertility. So I think there's a, a knowledge and an experience gap at the generalist level that really is a disservice to the patient. So I think if you fall into a diagnostic category where you're meeting the criteria for fertility evaluation, you're probably better off doing that with an RE rather than with a generalist because you know, if you're under 35 and it's been a year, 35 to sort of 39 and it's been six months or over three months above 39 and, and your periods are regular, you really need to be seeing an RE at that point. If your periods are irregular, that's a little different because many of those women may have PCOS. So you can maybe start with your general OBGYN and just see if they can get your cycles managed. But if not, again, you're really needing to go see an RE because they're going to know how to help you and how to manage you best. Could not agree more. So I, I think what I say to people all the time, everybody just let's stay in your lane and let's go to the specialist when we want to see them. And then you would graduate once you get past that, 
you know, traditional RA or fertility doctor to then go see an OB once you have that baby. And that's, that's their wheelhouse. That's what they know how to do. And go to the people that are really specialized and studied in getting you pregnant, first of all, and, and how all of those nuances will work for your specific body, because that where, that's where I see the big difference. OB, I see this, you know, it's almost a blanket statement. Like you said, the Clomid, the letrozole, here's your standard, you know, go check back in next cycle, whatever. Whereas a fertility doctor is really going to say, okay, Elizabeth, this is what we need to do for you because of your body and what's happening for you and or what's not happening. And you'll get answers faster. We're, unfortunately, with fertility, we do have a time frame essentially. So time is of the essence as much as I like to advocate for people having babies over 40 as myself. But the reality is, is we we don't have the time to just say, okay, I'm going to wait a year to see how it goes or wait another six months and see how it goes. Let's see the lay of the land, as I like to say, with the specialist. And then you can make your decision of who you want to provide your care from from then. Absolutely. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head exactly. You, you really want to seek out the care you need because time is often of the essence. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a super frustrating process. There are so many pressures on not just the women, but the relationship, the partner, the family, everyone uh, involved in the process. And, and everybody wants the best and they want it yesterday. And sometimes when you're getting care that is, uh, I don't want to say suboptimal, but um, not categorical not categorized for you or not structured for you specifically that can represent a delay and those delays can be costly not just biologically because you're you're losing valuable egg and ovary time but mentally emotionally spiritually and, and those things are just as important so yeah I, I agree completely it's it's definitely best to seek out the right care at the right time right so seeing as though I brought up my age and fertility what are some of the age related things that come up often with your practice as far as, is it, I would imagine like here, a lot of us that have had our careers and really didn't find somebody till later in life are now knocking on your door to say, please help me at this point. But what is the biggest thing that you see that's kind of preventing that? Is it truly the egg quality um, or is it other things that are also involved? But I feel like our traditional thing it almost feels like a brush off is, oh, well, your eggs are old. So, you know, you, there's nothing we can do about that. So what, what do you see and what, what is that? Well, well, I would disagree with the statement that there's nothing we can do about that. I think, uh, in fairness to all of my affiliated healthcare um, team members, like naturopaths and acupuncturists and, um, dietitians and, and fertility coaches, that you know, there is quite a lot you can actually do about egg quality. Um, so whether it's the physician giving them the right priming techniques, um, whether it's taking the time to make sure that you've optimized the sperm, you've optimized the eggs, um, whether you're using those allied healthcare team members to kind of get everything as, as up to snuff as possible, there are ways to kind of make maybe small but incrementally um, bigger uh, changes that are going to help you with your egg battle, so to speak. Um, age definitely has a, a very significant role. I mean, you know, anyone will happily admit that because it's reality. And the two major fronts to that battle are that one, typically as you age as a woman, you'll make fewer eggs. And two, the egg quality is, is somewhat of an issue, but the egg genetics is a big issue. 
And so as you're getting older in your reproductive years, um, you're going to face the fact that the number of embryos that you produce will have a higher percentage of genetically not normal or what we call aneuploid embryos. And so it doesn't mean you can't succeed. It just means you may need to try more times or try harder in order to succeed. And that part you can't actually alter. There's no way to change your, your egg genetics. So I could give you all the coenzyme Q10 and the PRP and the testosterone and you know size and priming in the world, but the reality is that at the end of the day, if the egg is genetically abnormal, I could get you a beautiful embryo, but it's gonna be a genetically abnormal one and we can't fix that. So um, those are where the battles are. Uh, how do you solve those? Well, you optimize the egg quality, you optimize the sperm quality. Um, you make sure that your protocol is one that is not designed to help the clinic. It's designed to help the patient. I, I spoke to a lady in, in Australia um, just yesterday who showed me her stimulation and she was going to be ready today to trigger. And I said, you need to go back today. And she said, I can't because of the fact that the way they set up their practice they only do retrievals on certain days. So it wouldn't matter if she was ready today, she'd have to wait another day or go a day early. I mean, when you're serving the clinic um, rather than the patients, that's a really bad recipe. And, and even in the US and, and in Canada, we have the same thing. So you, you really need to work with a team of people who are wholly and entirely dedicated to you rather than either their wallet or you know their self-interest. And that's so, so, so important. So, uh, you know, you mentioned it earlier, but it, it's critical for people to know if you're not working with a center that can provide you with high quality care, exceptional care, really, um, jump ship and go somewhere that can because staying in the wrong place is not going to help you in any way whatsoever. So, you know, we really want to make sure for those older women that we are optimizing each and every single piece of the puzzle so that when we get to that egg retrieval, each one of them is meaningful, is productive, is going to yield hopefully that one or two genetically normal embryos that you need. The tough discussion gets, you know, uh, into play when you really have tried several times and then the patients aren't succeeding. And at some point you have to engage in the discussion of, of whether or not you should continue or you need to start considering the option of donor egg. And one of my nurses who I dearly love summarized it best. And she said, donor egg is the worst swear word in all of infertility. <laughs> so I always keep that in the back of my mind as I'm talking to the patients, because you have to, again, respect the emotional trauma and the mental trauma that right. something like that represents. But it also behooves the physician to be honest about expectations and, and options, right? I mean, I never want to be the guy where the patient turns to me after two or three cycles of, of IVF and says, we tried, you made me embryos, none of them were genetically normal. And now you're saying egg donor, why didn't you tell me at the start, I would have considered it then. Right. So it's really important as the physician and as the clinic um, and I'm sure for you, even as a coach, to make sure that the patients are aware of the, the full gamut of their options so they can make an informed choice. If they choose they want to try on their own a couple of times, great, I'm 100% going to support that. But if they also say, yeah, I don't want to put the financial or mental or physical risk uh, that goes into this option, I'd rather go straight to a donor. Okay, then that's what's right for them. And again, you got to respect that. 
Right. I think no one ever expects they're going to be told they need a donor in their life. You just don't ever see that coming. Even if you know you're of that age that it could potentially come at you, you still don't. Like the reality of that conversation is like um, an out-of-body experience. But I do think that once you get the information, you are educated. And that's kind of the step one with my clients once they do get that is let's just go through the whole process. How does it work? This is what happens. This is what happens next. And that's what, and also if you make this decision, it actually goes pretty quickly once you find that donor and whatnot. And so I think once they have all that information and they can process what has been told to them, then they can really get to a point of, yes, this is right. Or no, we're going to try try longer. But I think that, and correct me if you see a difference in your clinic as well, it is becoming more normalized to ha- have and use an egg donor. And so it doesn't feel as much of a sucker punch necessarily because it's you can find it online pretty easily now if you're on a, a social media platform or something. And the fact that we live in a a day and age that it is possible, I say this all the time, it blows my mind that we have the ability to do this. That is so cool that we can have, you know, somebody who wouldn't have been able to have a child can now have one. Um, It literally, the stories are endless and I'm sure you've seen them and heard them too, but it really is an amazing situation. If, If it is proposed to you, I understand it's a bit of a shock, but Dig a little deeper because it. you talk to anyone who has an egg donor or sperm donor conceived child, and you would never know the difference if you see them on the playground. They love those babies just the same, and they were able to build their family, and that's, at the end of the day, the beautiful thing that matters. Uh, yeah. I mean, I agree with every single thing you just said. I mean, nobody walks away from their donor egg cycle and says, I don't love that baby. Right. So, right. so it, it, it would be foolish to think otherwise. Everybody's going to walk away from that experience, loving their child and having built their family and, and cherishing every moment. Is it exactly the way you wanted it? Not necessarily. Right. But at the end of the day, what I frequently tell my patients is, you know, do you need to have your baby? Or are you willing to have a baby? And that can make all the difference in the world. And and understanding you're still going to nurture that child and you're going to nurture the child physically and, again, mentally and emotionally and, and God knows, financially. Uh, you know, all of those aspects are your investments into that child. And and that's what really fosters the love and the relationship and, and the enjoyment of having a child and being a parent. And I don't think it makes a difference whether the egg was yours or the sperm was yours or even neither of them were, were yours because, you know, obviously there's even embryo donation now. So we really find that in those uh, those situations – the patients are every bit as in love with those children and, and sometimes maybe even more than parents that are biologically related. And I, and I will, you know, definitely throw in there um, that I think fertility coaches do an amazing job of helping us bring patients around to that realization and to that um, comfort with the process of having uh, a donor conceived child um, much more easily than we would without you. I think you guys can do um, tremendous, tremendous good for, for the whole process 
by kind of handholding and taking them through that process. Because Lord knows we're we're busy, and and if I'm not doing an egg retrieval or an embryo transfer or an ultrasound or a surgical procedure, you know, I'm seeing 15 patients at a time. So um, fertility coaches have that ability to guide patients through it, and, and it makes it a much smoother. Um, more readily attractive process than it would be otherwise. Well, I I will accept that compliment on behalf of coaches. And I think, again, back to, we want you to stay in that lane of doing the retrievals and yeah. doing all the things that that's what you're here to do. And we'll take the rest of the emotional side of things, because I think that's where we all succeed again, when everyone's doing is in their genius zone and, and doing what they do best. Yeah, and, and it resonates with patients, right? They're looking at me saying, this is this much money and he's going to be doing this and this isn't my baby. But when they talk to you, it's a completely different perspective because you have a whole other lens for them to look through and, and a different perspective that they get from that. So I, I think, you know, fertility doctors um, should really embrace that more often and, and integrate it into their process much more. So before we sign off, Dr. Victory, what do you feel the biggest myth is from people that come to see you? Oh, wow. Well, probably the biggest myth we experience is that people think that this should just work, that, you know, if um, they have sex and, uh, you know, they're doing it frequently enough and their periods are there, they should just be getting pregnant. So and keeping their legs up in the air after having sex. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've actually had patients go beyond that now and start doing headstands and handstands. So we're seeing the full, the full gamut. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest myth. People need to understand that, you know, there are literally billions of biological processes going on every second in your body. And um, to think that it's a simple matter of, uh, hey, I feel frisky, let's make this happen. And then all of a sudden there's a baby that materializes. Sure, that happens sometimes, but when it's not working, um, sometimes it's complicated and it needs evaluation and it needs investigation. And, and unfortunately, um, I wish it weren't so, but sometimes they need assistance. And so I guess I would say to patients out there, um, don't go into it just expecting that we can snap our fingers or give you a pill or, or take a packet of vitamins or, or you know, you're going to take maca root and all of a sudden all your problems are solved. Um, all of these things may be helpful, but a lot of times further therapy is needed and whether it's IUI or IVF or surgery or whatever the technique is, um, sometimes it, it takes a lot of doing to get patients to where they want to go. And, and so, you know, I would, I would tell you if you were trying to get from point A to B and point A to B is, you know, 20 miles, um, you know, simply walking, you will eventually get there, but you're going to be exhausted and God knows what will happen to you along the way. And it'll probably take you a very, very long time. Whereas if you hop on a bus or a car or whatever, you're going to get there a lot faster. So you need to look at what we're doing as the bus or the car. Um, we are the, the method of transportation that's probably safer and more efficient and going to get you from point A to B. You can do it on your own in many instances, but that's going to be a hell of a bumpy road. That's a great note to leave on because I think that that's what people have this expectation as well of, of well, we finally made this big decision and now it's going to be, you know, a slam dunk. And unfortunately, it can be a bumpy road, but it's a lot faster than doing it any other way. Right. Right. Well, thank you so much for your time. How can people find you, follow you, learn from you, work with you? 
Yeah, um, so if you want to find us, our website is www.drvictory.com, so drvictory.com, and you can sign up for consultations there or just uh, email info, I-N-F-O, at drvictory.com and ask for a consultation, um, and we're more than happy to help you out. Fantastic. Thanks again for being here today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was lovely speaking with you. You too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Creation Innovation Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify for free episodes and subscribe to the Creation Innovation Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to get your podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening for a chance to receive a special gift. Yes, we actually do send out gifts. It's my favorite thing to do. So visit us at elizabethking.com backslash creation innovation for more information on how to enter. Every review counts and we are so grateful. You can follow me at the official Elizabeth King on Instagram or TikTok. Until next time.